add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for talk news news stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any suggestions or ideas for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon. Welcome to all of you watching me on Twitter and Periscope. Now everyone can watch the show on Periscope TV by going to periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. You can also see the show on Facebook Live. We're only 50 days until Election Day, so we'll focus on campaign 2020 today. Our guests are Kate Ackley from Roll Call, Nick Guthman of our blue future and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. We'll start the show with Kate Ackley, senior staff writer for Roll Call and Congressional Quarterly, where she covers lobbying, campaign money, and big picture political and policy trends. Welcome to Deadline DC, Kate. Glad to have you on the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, uh, let's start with this. Uh, In the last uh, few days, uh, Bob Woodward's book, Rage, on uh, the president's handling of the pandemic has got a lot of uh, publicity and focus. Uh, I gather it's already the the book, the contents of the book have already become an issue in many congressional races across the country. Tell us about that. Well, it didn't take long for um, candidates for office, Democrats, um, to raise the issue of what President Trump knew about COVID-19, when he knew it. Uh, some of these quotes that uh, Woodward's book is, uh, you know, quotes the president is saying, um, you know, it seems very clear that uh, that President Trump knew that it was airborne um, as far back as February. Um, so, you know, these are, these are, these quotes are a big deal. Um, and they have uh, almost immediately kind of trickled into the congressional campaigns. We saw, 
um, really almost instantaneously uh, one candidate, uh, Sarah Gideon, who's running against Susan Collins in the main Senate race. Uh, her campaign was sending out messages, uh, news releases every hour on the hour um, after those revelations in, in the Woodward quotes came out and saying, you know, where does Senator Collins stand on this? What does she think about this? Um, and that that continued. We also saw it in other races, um, House races as well. Um, I, I think within um, within a few hours, I saw Betsy Dirksen Londrigan, who's a Democrat running in Illinois against a, an incumbent Republican. Uh, she was hitting him, Rodney Davis, who's the incumbent Republican. She was hitting him for um, you know, not speaking out against what President Trump had done. And and the whole idea is that that Trump hid what he knew about the virus, that he was not protecting the American public. And so there's this effort among Democratic candidates for House and Senate to tie their opponents, the Republicans, to President Trump and saying that, you know, Republicans let the country down um, by not, um, you know, by not letting people know that this was a serious threat, that it was airborne, et cetera. So it's, um, it's, it's definitely trickled into the uh, down-ballot races for Congress. Well, it raises an interesting question. Have any of the Republicans in question uh, responded uh, to these charges? So there was actually a debate um, Friday night between Collins and Gideon. And Collins did say that, you know, she expects the president to be forthcoming with the American public. Um, so she was kind of had to she had to address it at that point because it came up in the debate. Um, I, I think, you know, there's you, you what you're seeing from Republicans is uh, something of a of a pivot to say that, you know, the, the president has done what, uh, you know, what he needed to do to try to make um, make it clear that the virus was a serious threat. Um, maybe they're trying to minimize a little bit what the you know, what the what his quotes were to the to the Woodward book uh, or to Woodward um, in the book. Um but I think primarily the the comments kind of stand on their own. Well, you know, it raises an interesting question uh, in a lot of these competitive congressional races uh, at both the Senate and House level. Uh, the Democratic candidates are trying to tie their Republican opponent uh, to the president, who is uh, very unpopular in some of these districts. Uh, how are the Republicans trying to uh, avoid uh, making their their races a, a referendum on Donald Trump, which I suspect in a lot of cases is a not is not a good thing for the GOP candidates? How are they trying to cope with that generally? Are they running away from the president, uh, trying to not talk about him at all? How are they dealing with it? Well, it really depends on the state and on the district because um, there are there are certain um, there are certain states and certainly among Republican voters where, you know, this is Trump's party. The, the Republican Party is the party of Trump. Um, and so one of the one of the races that I'm covering is the Senate race in North Carolina, where incumbent Senator Tom Tillis is running for a second term and he has an opponent, Cal Cunningham. Um, and what some of the polling has shown is that there are voters who like Trump 
who don't want to vote for Tillis, who aren't, you know, they don't see Tillis as, as uh, Trump enough, Trump, you know. <laughs> um, so in some cases, I think uh, not being as closely aligned with the president for the Republican candidates, um, that can hurt them. And that can, uh, you know, erode some of their support among people in their own party. So you, you're seeing that dynamic. I think there was a, a story uh, two weeks ago about how Cal Cunningham was actually reaching out. He's a Democrat in North Carolina, reaching out to Trump voters and saying, you know, you can split your ticket, vote for Trump and vote for me. We're also seeing that same kind of outreach in the Montana Senate race, where the sitting Democratic governor, Steve Bullock, is running against incumbent Senator Steve Daines. Um, you know, it's a it's a state that went strongly for President Trump in 2016. Uh, something would have to go really, really wrong for the president to lose the state entirely this year. Um, but again, you you see people, um, you see the Bullock campaign reaching out to Trump voters in a way and saying, "Look, you can split your ticket. You know, vote for the president, and you can vote for Steve Bullock." Um, so. I think it, it really does depend. You do see some Republicans in districts that Hillary Clinton won or states that Hillary Clinton won. Maine is a good example where they are trying to distance themselves from the president. That has been difficult for um, Senator Collins. She has had a hard time. I mean, she won re-election six years ago by over 30 points. And she's down in the polls, uh, usually single digits, but she's down in the polls to her challenger, Sarah Gideon. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. Looking at uh, Bullock in Montana or Cal Cunningham in North Carolina, what kind of argument are they, uh, you know, making that you can, you know, why uh, vote for me and Donald Trump at the same time? Well, what we're, so Cal Cunningham is a good example. He is not someone who has come out for um, more the, the more progressive uh, policy proposals. He's not embraced the Green New Deal uh, bill, uh, you know, to combat climate change. He has not uh, been for Medicare for all. And so I think what you're seeing is this uh, more moderating kind of tone uh, and policy proposals from some of these uh, these candidates. They're saying we're not um, you know, we're, we're not going to be, you know, the, the sort of pillars of progressive policies, but, um, you know, he's, he, uh, uh, Cunningham is a good example. He's for expanding Medicaid. He's for, you know, sort of improving on the Affordable Care Act, et cetera, but not, you know, not going as far as Medicare for all. So I think it's more about how they sort of speak on the policies to voters, um, as opposed to, okay. you know, something yeah okay uh we're gonna go to break now for our radio listeners but we'll be uh staying with kate ackley uh for our viewers on periscope and facebook live uh so uh if you're uh, listening to us on the radio don't go anywhere we'll be back soon if you're watching on periscope or facebook live uh, don't go anywhere for any amount of time because we'll be continuing uh with the interview and again our guest in this half hour is kate ackley senior staff writer for roll call and congressional quarterly if you miss leslie on tv this week catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com Okay, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. 
Our guest in this half hour is Kate Ackley, senior staff writer for Roll Call and Congressional Quarterly. Uh, Kate's been uh, talking to us about uh, congressional and Senate races across the country. Uh, let's focus in on the uh, Senate races you're covering, Kate. Uh, first, uh, one of the uh, Repu- many Republican Senate incumbents in trouble uh, is in Maine, Susan Collins. Uh, her Democratic opponent, who, who I believe is the House Speaker of the State House, Sarah Gideon, uh, what's going on in that race? Well, that's another one of those races where um, in recent fundraising quarters, Sarah Gideon has outraised um, the incumbent, Susan Collins. Uh, so there's a lot of um, excitement you know, to give money to, to Gideon. And some of it is just because she's running against Collins. Um, there was this whole pot of money actually that I wrote about um, that it, when when the vote over um, now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh came up, you know, Susan Collins uh, voted for uh, Kavanaugh's confirmation. And that really fueled a lot of opposition to her. And a, a whole fund was set up to raise donations for whomever challenged her. And it was almost $4 million that uh, went to uh, the Gideon campaign as of this summer after Gideon officially won the primary. Um, the polling has been fairly consistent in recent months with uh, Collins down single digits, but still down. Uh, you know, she has a, a, a really tough race this cycle. Um, but obviously she's, you know, well known and she's, uh, you know, <laughs> she's been, um, you know, in main politics for generations. And so you can't necessarily say that this is a done deal, but she is in serious trouble. And most of the race ratings, including our inside elections with Nathan L. Gonzalez, uh, has it as a toss up. Yeah, it seems to me that Collins' success in Maine over the years is based on the fact that she's had an image as a very independent Republican, uh, you know, what they used to call gypsy morph Republicans uh, who uh, strayed from the national party line. Uh, but it seems to me she uh, made a move to go all in with Donald Trump uh, when she uh, voted for Justice Kavanaugh, as you say. Uh, and uh, it seems to me that's uh, opened the door for Sarah Gideon. So uh, uh, we'll see about that one. Uh, Let's go back to uh, Montana uh, Senate race. Uh, The governor there, uh, Bullock, the Democratic candidate, Steve Bullock, is running for the Senate um, against an incumbent Republican. Uh, How's Bullock doing? Is that a uh, opportunity for Democrats to uh, pick up a Senate seat? It's definitely an opportunity for Democrats to pick up a Senate seat. And we've, you know, this was not a competitive race until Steve Bullock got in it. And he got in it in early March. um, And that totally transformed this race from being something that, you know, was not a big deal. You know, we would have expected Steve Daines to be a shoe in for reelection, but for um, Steve Bullock's entry into the race. So it's a real contest. It is a real Senate race. Um, no question. Uh, but it is Montana. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of Democratic strategists will tell you that, um, you know, Steve Bullock won for governor. Um, you know, pe- voters in Montana split their ticket. They voted for Trump for president in 2016 and they voted for Bullock for governor in 20, 
16 as well. Um, but, you know, how voters vote for governor versus senator is obviously, you know, they, they take a different calculation. They look at it differently and the partisanship may matter more. Um, this is a tight, tight race. Again, this is a toss up. Um, it's, you know, going to come down to the to the to the final weeks, I think. And um, you've seen a lot of um, uh, fundraising, you know, on behalf of Bullock, he, he's done very well to close the gap, um, even though he got into the race in March. And, um, you know, they're, they're both up on the air with ads. There are a lot of super PACs, outside groups from both sides flooding the airwaves um, in Montana. There's also, I would say, a closer than expected house race there with the Democrat Kathleen Williams. Um, you know, she's done ads where she's, you know, cleaning and gutting a fish and, you know, kind of has this very Montana, (laughs) Montana campaign. Um, but it's, it's a tough state for Democrats and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just going to come down to the wire. Maybe I should try cleaning, gutting a fish during the show (laughs) that may jack up the ratings, um, or depress them completely. Uh, let's, uh, talk about the uh, presidential race, uh, both uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are spending uh, hundreds of millions of dollars on a presidential race. Uh, we seem to have a turn, though. Uh, the president has pulled back his uh, television ad buys in at least a couple of states, Arizona being one, uh, because essentially they've blown through um, $800 million uh, by Labor Day. Uh, Joe Biden had a very good fundraising uh, uh, month in August. I think he raised something like 300 plus million dollars. What happened there? Where did that all that money go f- for the Trump campaign? Well, I mean, you make a good point that, uh, you know, earlier this year we were writing stories about whoever, you know, de- whoever the Democratic nominee is, will they be able to compete Um when it comes to, you know, campaign money, because the Trump campaign, which started uh, essentially day one after, you know, going into office, um, raised a a huge pile of money. Um, So, you know, but but the the Biden Harris campaign, I I wrote this down so I could it's three hundred and sixty four point five million dollars is what the Biden Harris operation in conjunction with it, with the DNC and state parties, these are these joint fundraising, um, you know, committees so that donors can write, you know, $500,000 check and it gets spread out around, uh, these different, these different committees, but that's how much they pulled in. Um, they said in August, which, which shattered the previous record, which was the Obama campaign had a, had a month in, uh, maybe 200 million in, in 2008. The Trump team uh, did 210 million in August. Again, that's with the the affiliated committees, the, the, the its own joint fundraising committees with the RNC and state parties. So these are huge amounts of money. Um, obviously, the Democrats ha- have enough money to compete, which was one of the questions that people were asking, you know, a year ago when Trump had so much money. Um, and so it, it does raise the question: Where did all the money go? And I'm sure everyone's going to be scouring the most recent, um, you know, Federal Election Commission reports, which are due this week, um, to see how much cash on hand does the Trump campaign have? How much Trump? How much cash on hand does the Biden campaign have? Um, so we're all going to be looking, and also, you know, where is the money going? What are they spending it on? 
Yeah, I just read a story today somewhere that the Trump campaign has cut back on its spending in Arizona and Pennsylvania. And I remember one of the earliest lessons I learned in as a consultant was you say you make sure you buy back and you don't have to cut your spending at the end of the campaign uh, by spending a lot of money foolishly early in the campaign. But I guess uh, uh, the Trump campaign didn't show up for that lesson in campaign 101. I want to thank uh, Kate Ackley, senior staff writer uh, for Roll Call and Congressional Quarterly for joining us on Deadline DC today. Uh, We'll be back after these messages with our provocative progressive political panel uh, with Nick Guffman from Our Blue Future and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, that is Fortunate Sun by Credence Clearwater Revival. Uh, President Trump uh, used that as an introductory song for a recent appearance in North Carolina. Uh, John Fogarty, who wrote the song for his band CCR, thought that was kind of odd because Fortunate Son is uh, about a uh, son of a rich guy who avoided the draft to go to Vietnam. Uh, I guess the president just liked the song without knowing anything about uh, the point of the song. Uh, anyway. Uh, Sorry, Brad, I have to jump in. Are you referring to his, his five Trump's five draft deferments from Vietnam? Yeah. Maybe? Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, shin splints, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Real convenient. Oh, well, right? uh, anyway, uh, we're in the half hour where we traditionally do our provocative progressive political panel. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but first a few words, uh, from me. Donald Trump's feeble fight against the COVID-19 pandemic has become the defining issue of campaign 2020. Three out of five registered voters in a recent CNN national survey indicated that the coronavirus outbreak was their biggest concern. The prominence of the pandemic in the minds of voters is hardly a surprise. About 190,000 Americans have already died from COVID-19. Millions have been afflicted with the disease and millions of other people are mourning the death of friends and loved ones or taking care of the people suffering from the lingering effects of the dreaded disease. Sadly, uh, the nation will soon have to deal with the news that more than 200,000 people have died and this tragic milestone will increase the level of concern about the plague. Trump's feeble fight against the COVID-19 outbreak is the biggest obstacle to his reelection. The CNN survey showed that Joe Biden had a significant advantage among registered voters as the candidate best best able to combat the disease. The voter assessment of the presidential candidate's capacity to fight the pandemic was recorded before news about uh, Bob Woodward's new book, Rage, reached the public. The author's taped conversations revealed the president knew earlier this year about the devastating effect of the pandemic. Despite this knowledge, Trump downplayed the effects of the disease and even called the pandemic a democratic hoax. 
it's fair to say that the publicity focused on the book will make the pandemic an even bigger problem for the president than it already is. You can read the rest of this column and my take on the presidential race every Monday in the Hill. Just Google muckrack.com front slash Brad Dash Bannon. Now it's time for our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest today on the panel is Nick Guffin, the founder of Our Blue Future, which organizes young Americans to be politically active. Nick's Twitter handle is Nick Guffman. That's N-I-C-K-G-U-T-H-M-A-N. Joining uh, Nick on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked on the get out to vote operations of several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also involved in campaign finance reform and philanthropic efforts for cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. Okay, panel, let's start off with this. Uh, the big news in the last few days has been Bob Woodward's book, Rage, uh, which is a, a product of his taped interviews with the president and mostly focuses on the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's pretty clear from uh, Woodward's book uh, that the president uh, first found out about the deadly effects of the pandemic late in uh, January of this year uh, for several months. And still, I guess you could argue he's downplaying the effects uh, of the deadly disease. Uh, Nick, what kind of impact do you think uh, Woodward's book is going to have on the presidential race? The book is extremely powerful. Uh, in terms of exposing who this president is at his core, not only his failed leadership during the COVID pandemic uh, early on, but just his affinity for dictatorships and strongmen. It's part of his DNA. It's who he is as a human being and, of course, as a leader. And it's not who we need in this moment. It's not really what any young people are looking for in this moment and for our country. And while the forces of evil behind him, whoever they may be, propping up this disgusting nature that he has an affinity towards these strongman leaders, right? They're going to work hard and they're working hard to suppress the vote and make it harder for young people and people of color to vote. We have to work even harder. And that's what we're excited to be doing. And I think that the book makes it clear what's at stake and how those of us with a conscience here in America must do everything we can, volunteer with campaigns, donate money if possible, make sure where our friends and family are registered to vote. We have to do all that we can to make sure that he is a one-term president. And this book exposes just on another more honest level coming directly from the president, just who he is as a human being. The last thing I'll say on this point is there are really two campaigns in this country right now. There's one campaign fighting to restore the soul of America in Joe Biden's campaign. And there's another campaign assaulting our democracy the fundamental fabric of our country. And we got to get out there and we got to vote. Okay, uh, Mark, uh, your assessment of the uh, Woodward book. Now, it seems to me, I mean, basically what we have here is a situation where Joe Biden is clearly ahead. Uh, he's anywhere from six to 10 points ahead in the national polls. 
Uh, but the race, you know, he's also Biden is also leading in many of the battleground states uh, that will dictate the outcome of the election. Uh, but his lead in the battle, Biden's lead in the battleground states is really kind of on the thin side. Uh, we're certainly a long way from a done Biden deal. Uh, do you think the Woodward book uh, and his appearances on shows like 60 Minutes last night could make the decisive difference and turn the tide uh, more heavily in Biden's uh, 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 advantage? Or is this just another thing that's going to bounce uh, off uh, Donald Trump's back? You know, it's it's hard, and I'm sure, you know, those of us who follow this on a regular basis and those who, you know, follow maybe, you know, less intently uh, to, you know, political news, I'm sure that it's easy to get jaded and think, you know, nothing will make a difference anymore. As Trump had said, you know, at the beginning of the, the campaign, he could shoot someone on the middle of Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't lose, you know, any of his support from the people who support him. Um, that said, I think there are certain moments that have shown um, movement uh, for his support. Um, ones that stand out to me uh, was after the Charlottesville rally by the KKK and white supremacists when he said there were very fine people on both sides. You saw uh, many people pull back from supporting him and that was kind of an eye-opening moment for them. Um, and the other two instances more recently uh, seem to be, you know, the ongoing pandemic itself, as well as the rallies for racial justice after the death of George Floyd. Those seem to be points that stick out for all of us wherever, you know, we are in the news cycle. Um, and I think this has the potential to do that because it is his voice on record dated making acknowledgments in private that he understands how dangerous this is. And then you have the tape. It's just line up the tape of him going out in public and displaying all this dangerous behavior, having rallies, not wearing a mask, telling people it's a hoax, comparing it to the flu publicly while privately t saying it's five times more dangerous than the flu. I mean, the contents speak for themselves. So I do think it has a potential to move the needle in a close race, which I do think this is going to be because even if Vice President Biden has more support, unfortunately, the Republicans are fighting so hard to suppress the vote in so many different ways that I think we're, the Biden campaign is going to have to win by an overwhelming margin uh, more so than previous elections. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to break now for our uh, radio listeners. Uh, we'll continue uh, this, our progressive, provocative, progressive political panel with our guest, uh, Nick Guffman of Our View of Future, and also progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, so if you're listening on radio, don't go anywhere. We'll be back soon. And if you're watching on Periscope or Facebook Live, definitely don't go anywhere because we're going to be right back with you.
with Brad Bannon for our radio listeners. Uh, we're in the middle of our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, our guests today on the panel are uh, Nick Guthman, who is the founder and executive director of Our Blue Future, uh, and also progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, let, let's start with this. Uh, one of the things that I find curious uh, in my obsessive combing of the polls on the presidential race, uh, as I said before in my opening, uh, Joe Biden has a, a major advantage over the president on being the candidate who has the uh, 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 capability of dealing effective with, effectively with the pandemic. Uh, Biden also has a strong advantage over Donald Trump uh, on uh, an issue that is has become very important to voters nationally, uh, racial inequality. Uh, but uh, it looks to me there's one thing holding up uh, holding up Trump in an otherwise bleak electoral landscape, uh, which is that the you know. Donald Trump still gets a lot of credit uh, for being the candidate best able to handle the economy, uh, despite the fact that we've lost 11 million jobs uh, since February. Uh, people are, you know, worried about, uh, you know, getting thrown out of their homes and evicted from their uh, apartments. Uh, so my question to the panel is, uh, why do Americans still continue to give so much credit for Donald Trump to the economy uh, when I think any reasonable person would look at the situation and say the economy really sucks? Nick? I don't have a good answer for that question. I can't uh, read into the minds of people who are still with him because the majority of people in our country, an overwhelming majority, know that Donald Trump is not our guy. They know that he is not the best person to lead our country for this moment or ever. And the majority of Americans believe that, you know, no matter what we look like and where we come from, America should be a place where all of our votes count and especially young people believe this as the most diverse and progressive generation. So regardless of what the other side may think or what his supporters may think, uh, our job is to turn out the people in our base. And there are so many more people in this country who believe in decency and respect and are ready to unite across our differences to elect leaders and swear them in this election season so that we have a government by and for the people. Uh, Mark, uh, why do you think uh, that uh, Trump's uh, support for uh, handling the economy is holding up uh, when everything else uh, seems to be crashing to earth for the president? It's a good question. I think that he has gotten uh, a good deal of credit for the work that President Obama did. Um, and just like we saw uh President George W. Bush's uh, stranglehold on the economy and the policies that he had lasted into the beginning of the Obama administration. I think the successes of uh, President Obama and Joe Biden lasted into the beginning of the Trump administration. And they also had, um, you know, the, the stock market 
just poured all sorts of money into deregulating it, tax cuts for the rich. So you have people looking at that that indicator and saying, oh, well, the stock market's good and having that reinforced over and over again while wages are stagnant in their jobs. And, you know, they were still doing about as well as they were during the Obama administration as far as wages. But then you have, you know, this this pandemic, which has obviously thrown everything out of whack, um, because how are you supposed to work when you can't even, you know, leave your house safely without catching a deadly disease um, that's airborne and it's not being handled properly? We have the world's worst numbers. I think that you you see a split of, you know, the, the, the worst poll, I would say, for for uh, Vice President Biden on that number was about 51 to 46 percent is a recent Fox News poll that was released today. So you're looking at those people who support President Trump already are saying they think he will do better on the economy. And the real question we're really asking is those who are giving uh, President Trump a failing grade on things like the pandemic or racial you know, equality, why are those 10 to 15 percent still giving him some credit on the economy? Well, I think it's they just simply looked at things like the stock market or the early returns um, of economic data in the Trump administration. And you saw general large numbers like unemployment low and you saw other large general large numbers like the Dow Jones. But really, where was that money in your actual life, whether it was your job or being able to buy a house? And that's why I think you don't see much crossover. Um, I think, you know, that 10 to 15 points is something that's interesting because it does not go along with the rest of the numbers. As you pointed out, Brad, it's the only number that President Trump is not underwater on. And I think that um, the build uh, back better plan by Vice President Biden. He needs to hammer that home and how that is going to be a multifaceted approach to, to do something. I also think you're about to bring up, Brad, if I recall in your preview, is it can't just be only pour money into things like the stock market. When you do things like build infrastructure, you have to do it in a way that's going to protect us during the pandemic, that's going to build out other things that are going to help us financially, but also are going to help our uh, country Get, go green and be able to protect our environment because the west coast of this country is literally on fire right now. The sky is orange. So you can't just focus on this one thing here, one thing there. Um, I think it's got to be a very large, ambitious plan, which is exactly what that plan is. Yeah, you know, I find it very befuddling myself. Uh, uh, it's almost the way I look at it, voters are almost grading Trump on the curve. Well, of course, he's doing his best on the economy. The only reason it's so horrible is because of the pandemic. But what, you know, the dots people aren't connecting is, well, the reason the economy is so horrible is because Trump has done such a horrible job on the pandemic. Exactly. Uh, and I think uh, Joe Biden has to, you know, uh, uh, connect those dots for voters. Absolutely. Uh, since you brought it up, Mark, let's uh, switch subjects. Uh, I have a friend uh, who lives in Oregon um, who was burnt out of his house last week. Uh, and as uh, you mentioned, Mark, there's horrible, you know, wildfires going on uh, in the western United States, California, Oregon, Washington, uh, brought on by a record heat wave. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess my question, Nick, is uh, do you think, and this seems to be an annual event now, 
I mean, it seems to happen pretty much every year in the West where, you know, forest fires start raging. People are being burnt out of their homes. Uh, do you think this, uh, Nick, this is going to create a, uh, you know, more pronounced awareness of the need of uh climate change and the need to take very strong uh, measures to avoid a climate catastrophe in the near future? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I, too, have family who have lost their homes to uh, the fires in California and have been uh, escaping the fires now in Portland uh, and and the rest. And uh, I do think that this makes it yet again clear, if it wasn't already, that we need systematic change to address the climate crisis. We cannot take piecemeal actions anymore. We need to move forward with bold, swift action to address the climate crisis. And that's why Blue Future is so excited to be partnered with the Sunrise Movement and other young people across this country who are pushing our candidates to endorse and actually create a Green New Deal for America. Because here's the truth. The truth is, if we're going to address the climate crisis and any of the other challenges our country faces, we must demand that change and we must demand it boldly and aggressively and and we have to work together to make it happen. And so we have to think about, you know, how we are standing up for one another and, and realize that the truth is about what we demand and the truth is that we make the future. So together we have to work our butts off every day between now and election day. So we have leaders who can make this future with us, usher in a Green New Deal, among so many other important policy priorities. And my heart is out to all of those who've lost their houses and, and hope everybody stays safe with the fires. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, that's it for today for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I want to thank my guest, uh, Kate Ackley of uh, Roll Call. Nick Guthman of Our Blue Future and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, I'm here Monday. Yes, good, way to go, Mark. Uh, I'm here Mondays at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. If the Lord is willing, the creek don't rise uh, and Trump doesn't declare martial law, which seems to me is becoming an increasingly increasing possibility every day. This is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and don't drink the Clorox or the Kool-Aid. I don't care what the president says. Thanks, Brad. Okay. Thank you, Nick. 2020 took a different path than we expected, but it definitely didn't slow our pace. Planet M has helped private and public entities work together to advance the future of mobility technology along a challenging course. Working together has been the key to staying on the right path. So whether you're just getting started or already an industry leader, Planet M is your connection to Michigan's mobility ecosystem and our future. If you're ready to make a move with your business, see how we can help at planetm.com slash pure hyphen partnership. As we reopen, small businesses are finding new ways online and in person to be there for you. So when you bring your idea to everyone, remember, GoDaddy is here to help you make it happen with websites, marketing tools, and guidance for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com.